Welcome to Northern Nevada Green Living Podcast, where we support your quest for a happier, healthier, planet-friendly life that supports you, your family, and community. This show is produced by Go Green Locally, a nonprofit resource supporting eco-conscious choices at the local level. GoGreenLocally.org is where you can connect to the Northern Nevada Online Green Hub to find or share with six different directories for local events, projects, groups, nonprofits, businesses, online resources, or promotions. Visit the Hub today to sign up for email subscriptions, where monthly we send you the list of local events and any local green promotions that have been shared in the directory. Events, whether they are virtual or in-person, are a great way to support your greener lifestyle and ways to make our communities more sustainable and eco-friendly. Today I'm speaking with Help Save the Bees Foundation, a 501c3 Nevada nonprofit whose mission is to inspire and educate the community about the importance of bees, their challenges, and how to participate in supporting them and taking action for their health and survival. Ray Hopper is the founder and treasurer, and he has been keeping bees off and on since 1982. His passion has inspired him to dedicate his life to help the plight of the bees. Dan Ryder is a director, a beekeeper, and an organic gardener. His wife, Valerie Ryder, is the owner of Heirloom Gardens, an organic permaculture-based landscaping company. Both are very experienced in organic gardening and working to support nature and local ecology. Welcome, Dan and Ray. Thank you, Jenny. Glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, very excited to speak with both of you and learn more about the health of our bees and about Help Save the Bees Foundation and how we can take action to support the health and recovery of our bees and other types of native pollinators. So to start out with, please um, share with our listeners some of what's been happening to our bee populations and the cause of concern. Maybe just um, tell us your name and then go ahead. Well, I'm Ray, Ray Hopper. I'm uh, the founder of the Help Save the Bees Foundation, as uh, Jenny just mentioned. Um, across the nation, uh, U.S. and Canada, beekeepers have been experiencing a 30 to 40 percent loss of their beehives uh, for the past 10 years. It's uh, completely un- unsustainable, and it's people talk about that as um, as an indicator of the general health of pollinators in general. Uh, We don't have a whole lot of statistics about um, pollinators in general and other insects rather than other than uh, honeybees, but but we use honeybees as a uh, poster child for pollinators in general because we know a lot about honeybees. We have uh, top scientists uh, working for the United States government that do a lot of research about honeybees. And what we know about honeybees, we can extend to other pollinators. Anyone that's my age or older remembers as as children when they went on vacations with their parents, what we call the windshield effect, which is every time we pulled over to get it fill up with gas, we'd have to scrape off all the bugs off the windshield. Well, over the past couple of decades, across the board, populations of insects are declining. So uh, scientists the world over are proclaiming the lost uh, insect mass uh, all over the world, 30 to 40 percent. That's primarily due, well, it's a combination of things. They've got um, a lot of habitat loss. Uh, and then a lot of new chemicals coming on board, insecticides, 
I think the philosophy of, uh, you know, Roundup Ready Crops, for example, uh, you know, there used to be hedgerows of milkweed and, and you know, natural stuff. Uh, dandelion's a great example. And that, that's what stood between the fields and the next field. Well, that's not the case anymore. So all that's gone. And it's been replaced by a monoculture, typically things like corn and soybeans, and really right in the middle of the pathway where a lot of these insects uh, migrate. And people are shocked to find out they don't just don't stay one place all the time. We all think of the monarch body, butterfly, but there are others too. Then you weigh that with some of the very sophisticated chemicals, uh, well, uh, the nicotinoids, which have been around for about 20 years from now. And, and I think the evidence is clear on a lot of levels. They may not be directly deadly to bees, to bees but they, they affect things like their navigation system. So they simply can't find their way home. And uh, it, it's, it's a difficult time. And to Ray's point, you know, we, we as, as hobbyist beekeepers, and it's, it, I'm sure it's the same for, uh, you know, professional beekeepers, we're, we're still making the bees. <laughs> right, we're but we're doing it with hive splits and you know all this trickeration. Whereas normally you would keep a queen for sometimes three or four years. At this point, re requeening every year or two and doing so out of necessity because we just know they're mm -hmm. not going to last longer than that. So you're saying that you're needing to um, create more hives. Yeah, the swarming behavior. That's the way bees reproduce. That's the way they propagate and create new colonies. So what the beekeepers, what we're all learning to master is to, is to kind of uh, control that process. Not because normally we would suppress the swarm. Now we're not necessarily encouraging it, but we're harnessing and we're doing that by harvesting queen cells off of frames and creating new colonies from that. And I'm sure all of us are doing the same thing, perhaps different, you know, uh, different ways of doing it, but we're, that's what we're doing. So it's kind of trying to beat the odds. Yeah, yeah, just keep up with it. Keeping up with rather than beating the odds yeah. is more, more likely, yes. Um, and uh, we, use, we use honeybees as the poster child for pollinators in general. And we're really, as Dan said, we're really not in any danger of running out of honeybees because beekeepers will always be in a position to keep making more splits. Things will just get more expensive because it costs more to keep the bees. But, but honeybees are like the canary in the coal mine. As the honeybees goes, pollinators in general are also suffering. And, and we don't know as much about the native pollinators that we have in our backyard. We can keep making splits with our honeybees, and, and they're not going to suffer in the long run. But, but as the honeybees are going, all our native bees are going in that same direction. It's those that I think deserve more concern that when the native bees go, they're going to be gone because nobody is splitting colonies of native bees like they are like the commercial beekeepers are doing with with honeybees yeah we're not able to replenish that supply yeah so what are some things that everyone can do to support our bees without actually providing homes can i take that on ray i, I sure go ahead dan yeah I, you know um 
this ties in really well with what my wife does and, and kind of the philosophy we've held for the last decade or so. She, she owns a landscape company that specializes in tearing out grass. <laughs> so I, I would say number one thing we could do, we could all get is get some of that grass out of your lawn, uh, get, get plants out there that attract pollinators. You can do so in a very lovely manner. If you're in love with your grass, for goodness sake, don't kill the dandelions and the clover. Uh, those are two things that are they're supposed to be there naturally. And that in itself would you know, provide great fodder. But it just seems like in our effort to beat back nature, we have. We've totally harnessed her. And we're seeing the results of that right now. So to recap, two main things you can do to help the bee situation. Plant pollinator-friendly plants, number one. Use less pesticides. That's the biggie. Absolutely. And by using less pesticides, that includes when you're going shopping for plants, the Home Depots and the Lowe's and so forth, the plants that they're selling come pre-indoctrinated with pesticides. So check the label and make sure you're not bringing poisons into your backyard by accident. You know, that's a good point. Earlier this year, Ray and I were talking, he's he's a champion of roses. I don't like them. They're too thorny. But everybody's got a thing. But he was had a bad aphid, he had a horrible aphid problem. And he discussed he had purchased some uh, some organic some kind of organic pesticide treatment. And I said, well, Ray, you, you don't have a, a, an aphid problem. You have a wasp de de deficiency. <laughs> and the problem is if you kill off all the predators, you're never going to have an ecosystem. You're going to be, a di whatever system you use is interrupting that process. I need to know how the roses turned out. Uh, you ought to come over and see them. They are great. Okay, good. <laughs> he went and bought uh, green lace wings and ladybug larvas, I recall. Yeah. Assassin bugs. <laughs> that's, that's so it can be done. Kill them with the botanicals. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, that's actually a really good note because I don't think that's, that's actually something I, I heard pretty recently. And I thought, you know, it's, you don't think about that when you think about, oh, you don't want such and such a bug, but you don't really think about it as the whole ecosystem and that you know, there is balance. And when that balance is disturbed, then everything's disturbed. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, as a gardener, you know, I find like, it, it seems like at least one one plant or one type of plant in, in the garden will get affected every year. Last year was the hops. We have hops in our backyard and the aphids just came in and ate them to the ground, basically. There were no, no buds and, you know, but uh, ironically, we found just shortly after that happened, uh, there were so many predators in the yard, wasps and lacewings and ladybugs, and they just showed up. But they, but they had this. They had to have a reason to come. So, for the gardeners out there, I would say, you know, plan for some loss. You're, you're going to have a 10 or 20 percent loss if you're organic. Uh, but in the long run, you're going to be a better gardener if you apply that. Yeah, it's a good way of looking at it. Instead of fighting the bugs with chemicals, fight the bugs with other bugs. Bugs. <laughs> <laughs> Create a bigger and better ecosystem, probably. <laughs> Correct. Absolutely. Um, so if we want to go a step farther, what is involved in providing bees a home in our yards? Ooh, Ray, why don't you start out on that one? I know you have a strong opinion. Uh, on the market are small habitats that you can buy for the native bees. They're about maybe six to eight inches tall, five or six inches wide. Uh, they provide places to put little hollow tubes. Uh, native bees... Some natives tend to live and nest in hollow tubes and, and hollow plant stems. And that's another thing you can do when you're gardening. Instead of uh, in the fall right now, 
when you're tearing out all the old plants, don't cut them off to the ground, leave three to six inches of plant stem and the, the uh, bees and other pollinators, they make nests and, uh, and reproduce using those, those little plant stems. You can also, instead of clearing out all the trash in your garden, create little piles of leaves, uh, maybe out of the way, out of, out of the view of your, your best view of the garden, but uh, the pollinators use those too, little, little piles of leaves and sticks and so forth to make nests. So you can do that and pesticides in your yard is number one. Yeah, you know, there's a, Jenny, if I may, there's a, a big craze right now for hobbyist beekeepers. Um, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I have now two other beekeepers on my street that weren't there this time last year. But I want to encourage people, yeah, you know, it's a wonderful hobby. Uh, it is, uh, uh, it, you know, it's, it's meditate. It, it helps me meditate, frankly, because you have to be in such a state to do it. Um, but, you know, you have, if you're going to have bees, or you need to keep them. I, I think one thing that I see frustratingly so is, you know, they'll get the hive, they'll put it all together, and when can I get the honey? <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm from, I was thinking the other day because the guy asked me how often and I'm in my hives about a dozen times a year, not every month, because there's times I might go a couple of months, you know, consecutively, I won't even look at them. But it's, it's, uh, it's Mother Nature. And just, you know, if they've ever owned horses or something like, you know, Christmas Day, they still need to get fed. And, and bees require, you know, sometimes inconveniently so swarm season, for example, when you want to be outside and outside and doing things fun in the outdoors, you got your head in the bee box because those bees are going to leave and you want to prevent that. <laughs> so uh, I just would encourage, yeah, great hobby, get involved, but but do it for, you know, be in it to win it and don't just think it's going to take care of itself. Yeah, it's a responsibility. You bet. So as beekeepers yourself, what is something that is often not know, not known that many people would find interesting about raising bees? Well, I get asked often about what bees do in the wintertime right about now. People ask that kind of question. Uh, what do bees, do they hibernate? Oh, what goes on inside the beehive? And the answer is no, bees do not hibernate in the winter. They stay alive and active actually. Uh, inside the hive, uh, there are a few uh, baby bees, actually larvae, uh, that they maintain a temperature of 60 to 90 degrees inside in that little cluster. They, what they, they form a, a cluster around that group of larvae. Uh, if you've ever seen the movie about penguins where, the, where they keep the eggs warm by, by circulating the ones on the inside, they move to the outside and they get chilled and they move to the inside and they keep doing that back and forth. The bees do the same thing. The bees on the outside of the cluster, they get chilled so they move to the inside and that one's on the inside, they move on to the outside. They keep moving like that around all the time. And what they do is they, they, so as a beekeeper, we have to keep that in mind that they are going to be consuming carbohydrates all winter long to keep up that energy and keep up that heat. So we have to provide them 50 to 60 pounds of honey in the hive going into the winter. When we harvest honey, we can't take it all. We have to leave some for them to get them through the winter. And then we monitor them through the winter time too to make sure they have enough to 
get through. But the, the worst thing in the world is opening your beehive in the springtime and find them all dead from starvation. So I've heard that heartbreak story enough times, uh, yep. but that's what the interesting thing is, is, is that they do that. They keep that, that heat level up uh, all winter long. It can be minus 40 outside the hive yeah, and it'll yeah. be 60 to even 90 degrees right there in the middle of a, that cluster. My, my uh, amazing story about bees is they are able to communicate the workers the foragers specifically are able to communicate through different dances. Uh, one of them is known as the waggle dance, for example. That's amazing. And they can do distance and direction, directing other workers in the hive to uh, some great food source. So they were literally drum up. <laughs> they, if you watch them, they, they're like cheerleaders. And they will just run around the hive doing their dance, trying to get somebody to go out the door with them, like John Belushi. Uh, to this sunny source and they've, they've proved out the fact that they've there are people that can calculate exactly where the source is based on the movements the bees make i can't do that i know of no other species that can communicate the location of a remote food source to an to its partner ravens can look can communicate the location of a nearby food source by circling that but bees Tell other bees there's food <laughs> that way, 150 feet northwest, way over there, <laughs> three miles away, fly northwest, and they'll find it. That is an incredible thing. Wow, that's amazing. So, if we want to provide homes for bees, but we don't want to take care of the hives ourselves, are there many people in the area that will help take care of them for us? Boy, precious you. I have. Uh... He's actually serving as my mentor right now, Dan Bailey. And I know he's got some hives around town. Uh, I, I, for example, I know he loves the old Southwest. You know, that, that's where I live too. But it's just kind of that ancient fodder. And, uh, but, but he may be one to contact. Uh, but now, you know, generally speaking, not so much. I, I, find, I think Ray's this way too. I've mentored now my third, I'm now my third beekeeper. But if I find someone with the right uh, attitude, I, I'm doing the work anyway. So, you know, they come to my yard, we work the bees, I help them buy the right stuff. I may go visit, make sure they're set up right. But that's kind of how I've handled it. Ray, what do you think? Yeah, that's pretty much it. You pretty much have to know someone and be close to them. It has to be pretty much of a friendship, friendship relationship, I think. Well, it's an apprenticeship, right? I mean, there's so much to know. I'm into this now about 10 years, and I was reading a book today. I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't know that. And it's like it's almost on a weekly basis, you will learn some new thing about bees. Most hobbyist beekeepers keep as, as many bees, as many hives as they want to. And they're really not looking for other opportunities to work on other people's beehives. So I'd, I'd say the opportunities are few and far between to find someone else to, to take care of your bees. Um, if you're really interested in something like that, I'd say well, let's just, uh, get let's to just... know someone in your local bee club. Yeah, and that's a great place to start, I think, is the North, Northern Nevada Beekeepers Association. You can find them online. And it's a very nurturing club, I think. They do, they do have some good souls in there that 
Uh, you don't want to see people doing the right thing. So that might be a good place to start. That's for the Reno area, Northern Nevada Beekeepers Association. In the um, Carson City area, there's a there's even a big, bigger uh, beekeepers club. It's called the um, Great Basin Beekeepers of Nevada org. Hey, uh, you know, if, uh, for any listeners or watchers, um, they're in February 24th to 26th, I believe it is. They do uh, the biggest bee event in Northern Nevada. It's the Mason Valley Beekeepers Conference. Uh, three days, okay. just pouring a lot of love on honeybees. Nice. Uh, you know, for that's not a bad introduction. And you said it's Mason Bees? No, that's Mason Valley. That's Harrington. Oh, Mason Valley. Okay. Mason Valley gotcha. Beekeepers Association. Gotcha. Gotcha. Excellent. We're just hooking you up with some bee heads. Yeah. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes as well so everyone can find it easily. So what additional actions are you taking to help the bees and actions that uh, we can take with your organization? Well, I'll start. You know, that I think that's, we're, we're, a, we're a young organization. Uh, I, I feel like we're twice as better today as we were in our, our first year. So we're, we're still kind of learning too. At this point, the, the donations that we receive we're, we're trying to use most of our time finding what are the best benefactors for that. And it's, there's quite a bit of work. Um, for example, we're looking for some, some park space, but we can donate the cash and maybe some time to put in a nice pollinator garden. Well, there's a lot of opportunities, but you go walk through the parks and the, the status of the, uh, the maintenance of some of the plants. Sorry about that. Uh, the status of the, you know, maintenance some of the grounds, it's like, we're, we're going to come invest 10 grand and, and who's going to care about this? We can't come out and water it every other day, you know? So uh, I think we're, we're, we're on the cusp of doing some really great things. And I think if, if you're looking to just flat make a donation, we would be a, a great entity to think of because we're very conscientiously um, distributing those funds. One other thing you can do. One other thing you can do is you can uh, sign up for our newsletter on our website and uh, stay current with uh, events and activities that we're, we're doing in town. Nice. And um, your uh, website is? HelpSaveTheBeesFoundation.org. Perfect. So can you suggest some additional resources in our local area that will help us learn more and maybe get more involved? I think you mentioned already a couple of them. Are there any others that you wanted to, to mention before we? Uh, I will, I will uh, plug one organization. It's kind of a specialized organization. It's called beesforvets.org. And it's spelled with a number, number four, bees for number four vets.org. What they do is they they train veterans and first responders in the art uh, of beekeeping. As Dan mentioned a little while ago, uh, beekeeping itself is a very meditative uh, occupation. It takes a lot of focus, a lot of concentration, a lot of uh, what they call mindfulness, being in the present. And this is very has been found to be very therapeutic 
for people with things like post-traumatic stress syndrome and so forth like that. And so that's why this organization, it, uh, they, I think they have about 30 or 35 current participants, veterans and first responders. Uh, it's, it's free to participants. It's all fully funded by the organizers. Yeah, it's really great. That's a great deal. The, um, they actually have to beekeep, be, be, stay on their hives. So they're actually given two hives, I think. Was that the case? So one or two? And, and they, they have to come out on basically a weekly basis, or maybe it's bi-monthly, check the hives, do all. If they successfully make it through that 12 months, they get to take their hives home. And UNR has donated that uh, location for that use. It's, it's, a, it's a nice partnership. Uh, and you can find out more information about uh, that on their website, beesforvets.org. I'll send you that link. Nice. So where are they caring for them before they take them home? Uh, in uh, Piedon Valley, out on the uh, UNR farm oh, okay. campus. Nice. Or ag campus, I should say. Nice. Excellent. So one, okay, great. So um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, so I've heard that it's better like if you're going to be doing any kind of bug control, like you mentioned, to use other bugs, maybe beneficial ones. Um, but I, I've also heard that, you know, if you're going to use something, it's better to use something organic based and not synthetic, not synthetic no. based. No. So, no. Okay. That's a no. So can you speak to that a little bit more? <laughs> you're disrupting the system. You're, you're, you're just trying to fight nature with a different weapon. Right. Okay. Well, that's now, good. Commercial people, you know, I get it. I think for, you know, commercial growers, the growth of like the organic food industry, uh, I, I come from a cattle ranch type background. So to see ranching families, they're doing really well right now, basically going organic. It's allowing the, the small rancher uh, to compete with the big factory ranches, you know. So I see that as a, a really strong step towards the future. But in terms of trying to control insects with organic chemicals, you're just spraying them with, you know, lime juice as opposed to something else. So you're going to kill and, them. And you're yeah. going to keep away the beneficial insects that want to come. Those, yeah. those, even though they seem less harmful, they are harmful. Yeah, right. So the other thing that I'd heard is that when you are taking care of mason, uh, like native bees or mason bees, I guess specifically, that you have to take care of it a certain way. I don't know if it's like cleaning it once a year or something. They were saying that like sometimes a mite problem might carry over from one, one year to the next or something of that sort. Have you? Well, the, the thing Ray's talking about, the, you know, the little tubes, Right. you can replace those anytime you want and just keep the house. And if you're concerned about that, um, yeah, it's, you, you don't even need anything. You can literally drill five sixteenths holes, 16 inch deep in a in the top of a, or, or it needs to be horizontal, but into an old four by four fence post. You can create habitats just, you know, like nothing. I think, you know, back to the landscape, we need to have yards that attract these types of insects. And that means lots of flowers. And, and that's kind of the magic of it to me is that, you know, once you create that ecosystem, they show up, they just come. You don't have to do, there's no trick. Just give an excuse to come there. And keep the poisons out. Well, thank you both for the, yeah. Yeah, keep the poisons out.
<laughs> well, thank you both for all the work that you're doing. And it's um, just very commendable. And I really hope that it inspires more people in our community to, you know, take on responsibility of doing beehives and just providing more um, habitat to support the bees. Well, thank you, Jenny, for the opportunity to spread the word. Thank you, Jenny. For details and links mentioned in today's episode, please check out the show notes. Also, if you haven't already, subscribe at gogreenlocally.org to receive local green event monthly emails to help you stay informed about events going on in your area.